well done. Let's hope Joe hasn't got it. Been to Canada. Bear flu. You saw one. You saw one. Yeah, there's just lots of things in the media flying around in the world just at the moment, and swine flu is one of them. And, and of course, there's the other thing, the 40-year celebration of man landing on the moon. What a great, what a great event that was. Um, but there's a statement that they've um, been pushing out, and that's the statement that was made from the moon, I think, if I'm right, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Oh, let's put that in the Christian context, shall we? A simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is a giant leap for each of us. And it's greater than the experience of going to the moon, a lot greater, because the promise of eternal life actually in the presence of God is the greatest leap we could ever make. Do you know you're going to make that leap? Are you good to go when he comes? We're going to stand in the presence of God and say, yeah, I'm just waiting for that leap, that chance to go right into the very presence of God and be with him for eternity. And what will we find when we get there? We should have an experience, yes, of the glory of God and and all that's to happen, all that God's going to fulfill in the earth, the promises and the word of God. And um, we very often try to think what it's like. But that's the same thing of trying to ask the question, what is God's glory? <laughs> what is God's glory? And um, we've come to that point, if you've got your bulletin, they're right on the front page. It's got living life, Jesus' way, by his spirit on his mission. And we got to the last bit um, for his glory. And uh, Steve brought to us um, what it is to bear fruit for Jesus Christ, to bear fruit in our lives, is, is an aspect of God's glory, uh, which we're all capable of, of declaring in this world, declaring the glory of God. And... Um, and, and, and Steve termed that, that message which he gave God's fruity people because there are things that we can demonstrate in our lives that we actually belong to God, that Jesus is our saviour, and the changes that we make in our life can demonstrate that, yes, we've chosen to follow him and, and demonstrate the fact that we can actually now know more about love. I think Helen's finding out that God really loves her and has got a great plan for her, you know, and how that now love takes on a different aspect in our lives. It, God actually helps us to love people that we could never love before. People we find difficult to live with. That's fruit, what the Bible calls fruit. And we can only know that fruit and demonstrate that fruit by being close to Jesus and what that passage talked about, abiding in him, keeping close to Jesus, hearing what he says, and actually trying to follow in his footsteps. 
But the glory of God is a very big subject. Nothing that I can touch or talk. In fact, no man can speak about the glory of God because it's so wide a thing, something we haven't really concepted. But God has given certain things in this world, in history. He's fed into history of mankind things which will tell us what we need to know about his glory. As people... We've actually sung this morning that what we're doing, being here and living our lives, we want to do for the glory of Jesus. We want to lift him high. We want to praise him. We want to lift him high. The second century theologian, Arrhenius, said the glory of God is a person fully alive. And Jesus actually made that possible by saying, I have come that they might have life. And that that might have life to the full. That's a very big statement. And something we can pursue right and keep going and keep going and say that the life that God wants me to live is so fully alive when I know Jesus as my saviour. I don't think that's a general impression that people outside the church have of people who make up the church or often portrays how we feel. We're not very often portraying the glory of God. It tends to make people negative about the church. If you look at TV drama, it normally depicts a lifeless congregation. Just had a quick peep at a bit of frost last night, and there was a picture of people in a church, and it was lifeless. It was actually lifeless. And that's how TV drama seemed to want to portray church. As lifeless. But Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Are you sensing in your spirit that you actually need more just at this moment? You sense there's more to have, more to be, more to look forward to, more to grasp in understanding, experience more. Well, we can only say this morning from Scripture that that can all be found in knowing Jesus Christ the saviour, because that's God's intention. I want to read uh, one verse to you. If you've got your Bibles, John, that's the Gospel of John 1 and verse 14. This is one of the greatest verses in the Bible. Jesus had come for many, he was just an ordinary person, a carpenter. For many, he was just someone living and working and being. John 1 verse 14, and it starts off by saying the word, and the word here is actually referring to Jesus. The word became flesh. And lived for a while among us. And this is the phrase, we have seen his glory. We have seen his glory. The essential life of Jesus. Let's think about that for a moment, can we? Whether it be as a child at home, in his work as a carpenter in his ministry, relationships, suffering and trials, 
it was all essentially to glorify God. We may not see that, but that is why he came, that's why he was here, and that's the way his life was actually lived out as far as God was concerned. It causes us to think, for us to say, how do I live my life out as far as God is concerned in this world? Do, am I, have I actually got to be responsible to God first? Is my responsibility towards him, or do I not even think about that? Is my main concern to be more responsible to society, or is it more important to be responsible to God? Just a question to ask. Apart from the plan and purpose for being here, it was Jesus' passion and attention to the details of his life that it was possible to glorify God in the way that he did, or either to be so insensitive, ignorant, or devious in the way he conducted it. I say that because that's in contrast to probably the way that we live it, or a lot of the people in the world live their lives, either insensitive, ignorant, or devious, as far as God is concerned. That's quite a thought pattern to take us down. But for Jesus, never was he insensitive to what God required, never was he ignorant, and never was he devious in the way that he conducted himself. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, and maybe as his life fronted up to Satan, he came to tempt him. Maybe he thought that maybe this was a possibility. It certainly was a poss- is a possibility for us that we could be insensitive, ignorant, or devious in the way that we live out our lives before God. But never with Jesus. Not on any of those scores could Jesus be tempted to make a choice in any of those areas. Because when he came to the time when he was fulfilling all that he did in his earth, this was his prayer, we all know it. Father, I have glorified you on the earth. I finished the work you gave me to do. Father, I come to you. In his prayer, Jesus goes on to say, Father, the glory you've given to me, I've given to them. Are we just the happy recipients of God's glory? A person fully alive? A person declaring the glory? A person who is not insensitive, ignorant or devious in the way that we conduct ourselves? But all those things could be true of us as individuals or even as the church, the church of the living God. We could be ignorant, insensitive, or devious in the way that we seek to live out our lives as individuals or the church. Not so with Jesus. As an open book, Jesus could pray without any sense of shame 
Father, I have glorified you on the earth. There's a reason why I say this. It may be taking a long time to get there. But 100% of the time that Jesus spent on his, this earth, 33 years or more, makes that claim true. We may not know that. God knows that. But the writer to the Hebrews is quite right that in him was no sin. He was the perfect son of God. There's a reason why I'm coming to this. If we say for a moment, I can't be sure about that, so I'm going to say 99.9% of Jesus' life here on earth glorified the Father. That just small percentage, that point one of a percent, if I say I cannot be sure about that, I have a doubt about him. I have a doubt about Jesus. And that's quite fatal. So can we reason that out? No. We can't. So when John says, we have seen his glory, it doesn't mean to say, well, I've sat down and written a thesis about this, or I've studied theology about this man, and I find in him nothing that I have a doubt about. If I do that, but there's still this point one of a percent. No, he didn't say that. He said, we have seen his glory. And what is he saying? I've now come to the point and acceptance that this is the man that God sent And he is the Messiah, and there's no one that can compare with him. My doubts I lay down, but I take him to be who he is, the eternal son of God. And there's a reason why I say that. What about this point one of percent doubt? I just want to transfer that to us for a moment. It's like a virus, isn't it? We're thinking about the flu virus at the moment. But that point one of a percent of doubt in Jesus can, can spread like wildfire and be like a virus in our lives that takes over. And it goes a bit like this. That 0.1% can be translated into two letters, if. That's where Satan came in to Jesus, if you're the son of God. And that comes down to us as individuals. I want to say to those who are dwelling on failures in their lives, which go like this. If I was like someone else, if I hadn't done that, if I had have done that, if they had not have done that, if that not have happened to me, if only. I need to be a better person. Why was I born? Who am I? I must try harder. 
I really must not do that again. I could go on. There is one letter that if is constructed out of, and that's the word I. I'm sorry to keep harping about this 0.1%, but it can answer the question. Am I fully accepted in Jesus? Is what he did for me so perfect and complete that I receive him and live my life to him? My doubts I give to you. My doubts I give to you. And so John, for a while, as he said that, he steps aside from reasoning. And he takes by faith Jesus as the eternal Son of God. The Word became flesh and lived for a while among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Some barnacle of a man who said cows were very good for playing polo also said, if you get a lever long and stout enough and a fulcrum strong enough, it wouldn't take much effort to prize the world out of its current place in space. And that's applied physics. You know what it's like with a lever, it's on a ratio basis. If you have a fulcrum, you have a lever. I, I, I use this principle when I'm getting trees out sometimes. I dig a hole underneath the roots, put a stout bit of wood underneath the roots and something for it to rest on. And if it's long enough and I press the end, the tree pops out of the hole. It's not quite as easy as that, but um, you get the principle, don't you? The principle of physics is applied here. And so this man said, well, if you get a lever strong and stout enough and you get a lever long enough you could put it in under the globe of the earth go to the end of the lever which would be quite some long way away I'm afraid and if you pressed on it it wouldn't take much to lift it and prise it out of its place now that's a bit how like Satan comes to us sometimes and that I, of which if is constructed out, and I'm just using a type of analogy here, you understand. If Satan can get in there, it doesn't take much effort for him at the end of the lever to prize us out of where we are as Christians. Have I got there? It doesn't take very much effort at all. And so that point one of percent doubt I have about Jesus has got to go somewhere. It's got to go where it went a long time ago, at the cross where Jesus died. When Jesus said it's finished, there's nothing, absolutely nothing, left to do. No one else can take his place. We sung that this morning. No one else can take his place. And no one else can do what Jesus has done for us to save our lives so completely that there should be no doubt. I know we have doubts. I'm not getting at anybody. But that doubt 
can be the place where Satan puts his lever in. And it doesn't take much effort, does it? On the other end, to prize us as believers out of where we are. So seeing the glory of God, in a sense, could be quite involved, but it's quite simple. Because it says, I just give myself to you, Lord. There's absolutely nothing I can do, nothing else I can add, nothing else left outstanding. Jesus has done it all. All my sin is gone, nailed to the cross, <laughs> and there's what now? So you're just wishing you're a better person. Don't bother. God accepts us completely as we are. That's the total, complete work of Jesus on the cross. Finished. And there's glory in that. That is the glory of God. What Steve spoke about is actually coming to our responsibility that we now begin to live out that life that we've already been given because you won't have to show your ticket when we go to heaven. We won't say, ah, well, I've just got to go back a moment and, uh, and forgive someone. I owe a penny to someone now. I took it from him many, many years ago. No. There's only one way into the presence of God, and that's through Jesus Christ. He is my saviour. He's, he's actually done it all, totally. And so really it comes down to this. I now believe that. I need to believe it because I can't improve on it. Jesus is my saviour. I so thank God that he became my saviour when I was seven years of age. And even earlier that, I've been hearing songs sung by, by adults all about the glory of Jesus. So I'm not sort of no newcomer to what the Bible says about Jesus. Glory, glory, everlasting, be to him who bore the shame, and so on. I could go, well, probably hundreds of hymns that I know that speak about the glory of God. And so I just want to speak this morning just a little bit. First of all, before we go on, I want to speak to you about inferiority. Sometimes this happens in the church. And you feel inferior. It's that 0.1% doubt that I'm not as good as someone else, or he's got it, or she's got it all. They don't seem to talk to me like I talk to others. They don't seem to have that relationship with other people like they have to me. And for each one of us here this morning, we're all accepted by the same work, by the same thing that Jesus has done for us. And we're all equal in his sight. In actual fact, we're ennobled when we trust in Jesus. Sons and daughters of God, and we're accepted, as the Bible says, in the Beloved. So it's quite important, actually, to come to the place of this 100% glory in Jesus. 
because 0.1% of doubt can bring our life into sense of failure and not give us the strength to move on as believers. And that's not where God wants us to be. A group of us went to hear Tim Keller at Westminster Chapel earlier on this year. And he was sort of talking about Richard Dawkins and um, God is dead, you know, and all the rest of it. And controversy about God and creation, along with the world's general dismissal by atheistic tendencies. He said it is, Tim Keller said, it is all really about one question. Is Jesus the Son of God? Is he Lord of all? It's really all about one question. In Psalms it says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. One qualification for foolishness, if you like. Say there is no God. But isn't that our world? So, the glory of God. What can we do? God has given the church and its true members to be the custodian of the glory of God in this day and age. When we talk about the glory of God, God has said that he will manifest his glory through the church. When we spoke about TV drama portraying churches as lifeless, it's not the true picture of the glory of God. The true picture of the church of God is with life and healing and truth and hope about the future. That's the true church. And God has given the church to be the custodian of his glory here on earth. Are you pleased about that? You know? God let us be the true church of God, where God's glory is manifested through his church. But there's two parts to this glory. And I don't want to go into, I mean, I don't really understand Hebrew, but it's what I read. There are two parts to this glory. And if we go back to the Old Testament, where we can read about a tabernacle, essentially that construction was to be a demonstration and a portrayal of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And it's no good to me going into any detail because, in a sense, we probably wouldn't understand the concept of that in this short space of time. But when Moses, after he had constructed this tabernacle and he fully obeyed all that God commanded him to do, we read that the glory came. Do you read that on the end of Exodus? And the glory was known to be there by the presence of a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In actual fact, it was all to do with God manifesting his presence amongst people. God being manifest, seen on earth. His ways demonstrated on earth. And that sort of form of glory was called what the Bible calls the Shekinah glory, the manifest presence of God. There is another glory which, as the psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God and they show his handiwork. They show his handiwork. One manifests the presence of God and one manifests the glory of God. 
We have the same concept of God dwelling with us in the Emmanuel that we remember at Christmas very often. His name shall be Emmanuel, God with us. It's also seen in when Jesus and the Holy, John saw the Holy Spirit come on him. He saw the glory come in the form of a dove and the Holy Spirit came down. It came down and rested upon him. So in a sense, the glory of God was manifest in Jesus and he let others see that. But there's also the other part that in Jesus' life, he showed love and compassion and he understood and he taught and there was a demonstration of the other type of glory that people, as they looked at Jesus, could actually get a correct impression of what God was like. That's the other type of glory. So you have God dwelling with man, and that was seen in Jesus, and a quick picture and understanding of what God is really like. That was also seen in Jesus. And so when we're talking about Beacon Church being here for his glory, the world needs to see both types of glory. The manifest presence of God and an underst- a true conception of what God is really like. Now, we can only do that by working out what Steve brought to us last week, God's fruity people, by abiding in Christ, that the fruit of the Spirit might be born in us, that way, this is how God's glory is seen. The church has been given this responsibility. It's individual, being made up into a group of people to demonstrate the glory and the glories of Jesus. Paul writes in Romans, if you've got your Bibles, you turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. How has he made that plain? We're thinking about that this morning, aren't we? The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and the way that we live out our lives. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without any excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory, exchanged the glory, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, For the degrading of their bodies with one another, they exchanged the truth of God, that word exchange again, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie 
and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. The word exchange. When Satan came to Jesus, he got no exchange. There was the glory of God. When John saw Jesus and wrote, we have seen him and we understand, we know this man, there was no exchange. This was 100% of the truth. We have seen his glory. Coming to that point in our lives to realize who Jesus is and what he has done for us is the work of the Holy Spirit who brings us not to reason, but to faith. And that's the difference. No exchange. By faith, I need to accept what the Bible says and what the church actually says about Jesus, that he's the eternal son of God, the only saviour of the world, and the only way that I'm ever going to spend my eternity in the presence of God. No exchange. So Paul talking to this church, he's looking at the world and he's saying, this is what it's got to, friends. What are we going to do about it? And he goes on to tell them about Jesus and what he'd done about it. We have that happy privilege this morning, don't we, of knowing who Jesus is and what he's, we've sung, we've worshipped, we've worshipped him as the creator God. We've lifted his name high. So what can we do as a church to keep on track? Just need to get some practical points for a moment. Well, one good thing is to do what Steve told us to do last week, and that's to read the letters to the churches in Revelation. That'll give us some serious thinking about how we should be as churches. So what do we find there? We see what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And it's important to know what the Spirit is saying to us as Beacon Church. We probably need to come each Sunday and say, God, what are you actually saying to us today? We want to be, have our ears open to hear what the Spirit's saying. Is God saying to us we need to be more loving or we need to be more kind? Is the Spirit saying to us, well, you don't really love Jesus at all? You're just making a show of it. And that's possible. The Spirit is saying the things that you just need, so some thinking you need to get rid of. You need to get to that 0.1%. You need to get rid of that doubt and focus wholly on who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Get back to it. And so this letters to the seven churches... It's a spirit that actually shuts churches down and opens them up. And I've heard that recently here as well. could come to a sad and sorry state for a church to be shut down because there's no life in it. We spoke about that earlier. We could certainly look at Revelation. We can look at what the spirit is saying to the churches. It's quite, you know, we need to look at it and read it as if, Lord, I really want to do something about your glory in Herne Bay. 
We want as a church to do, we want to manifest your presence, Lord, and we want to declare your glories, Lord Jesus, as we live out our lives and we come here. Yes, we can read the letters to the seven churches and see what it says. There's one thing about Revelation. You say, I don't like Revelation. I can't understand it. Probably if you've never read any other part of the Bible, you won't understand it. Because what happens in the book of Revelation, it's like an anchor on a chain being cast back at that time, right to the beginning of time. You know what an anchor does? You've seen them throw a hook up onto a rock and it secures on a point at which a life can be lifted up and felt secure. What Revelation does, it throws an anchor right back in history to secure its point in the beginning to say all that's in this book goes together and it's true and you can't separate it up. So it throws an anchor back to the beginning. That's why it talks about the tree of life because you read about the tree of life in the beginning. That's why in the first chapter you see something about the glory of Jesus in the first chapter. A great description of Jesus. That's a wow factor. Picture of glory. So it anchors in the beginning. So that put Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth in its right place. It was part of God's <coughs> glory. Shows his handiwork. It's wonderful to read, isn't it, that God only had to speak to the word and the animals came about. But when it came to man, he formed him from the dust of the ground. That sets him apart from everything else. So Revelation throws its anchor right back into history. It has another anchor too. It throws it back to the tabernacle which God instructed Moses to build. And you'll read things in there. And then it throws an anchor back to the prophetic part of Scripture. So what God said then is still relevant today, but we will now draw on what was said in the past and make it relevant now and for the future. And so as John writes to the Revelation, he throws an anchor back. Well, what else does he do? It's almost like an arrow, a flaming arrow, with a rope on it being fired with a bow, up into the heavens. And when we move up there, like John in spirit, the door is open. And immediately our attention is drawn to a lamb on the throne, just as if it had been killed. And he throws the arrows fired up there and say, fix your thoughts. Take account what has been said in the part and all that's in the word of God but also look into the future and see what is about. But at that present time, there was a message to the church, the churches, and it was in view of what happened in the past and what was going to happen in the future. True understanding like that makes responsible people keen for the glory of God to be manifest in the church. So we could read the Letters to the seven churches in Revelation. That will help us keep on track for the glory of God. David said, one thing 
have I desired, that is to dwell in the house of the Lord and to behold the beauty of the Lord. That will keep us on track. What does it mean, actually, to dwell in the house of the Lord? Well, it could mean several things. It means that I could actually read all that God wrote about the tabernacle and see what I can understand about God, not with a da Vinci code, but with a code of his own, set in that building saying, this is my son, I will glorify We could say, well, that's dwelling in the house of the Lord. I I can go there and I can try and understand with the help of the Spirit of God how wonderful Jesus is, uh, what a great person he is. Dwelling in the house of the Lord is actually keeping up my love for Jesus in my local church and being faithful to all that we do, making sure I'm in place, making sure I have worship in my heart when we come together. So David said, one thing have I desired, that I to dwell in the house of the Lord and to behold his beauty. And when we come to this time of preaching, whoever's doing it, we're actually seeing more, beholding the beauty of Jesus. In our worship, we're beholding the beauty of Jesus. What a fantastic person he is. What a wonderful person Jesus is. His glory is beyond our understanding. But God has a code he wants to break to us. We can begin in the tabernacle where God's manifest presence was seen. There's another way that we can keep on track as a church. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You know, when I was talking about these if factors earlier on, you know, if I was only a better person, if only they hadn't done that, And I don't feel part, I'll stay away. I'll stay away because maybe I feel just a bit inferior at this moment. I feel a bit of a failure. Or who are they to upset me? What happens? You stay away. It doesn't solve, it doesn't answer the question. It doesn't solve the problem. Taking up my place. That was a wonderful thing about Nehemiah. When he got all the people to assemble that wonderful day of celebration, he said this, and all the people came together and took their place in the house of the Lord with a little phrase after the end, so did I. He was a leader. He raised up a great people to help rebuild the walls. And he got all the people together to rejoice in what God was doing. But he said, I want to be part of it too. I must be part of it too. I must take up my place. He said, then all the people came together and took their place. So did I. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. When we're disillusioned with people and dissatisfied, let down, feel insecure, unnoticed, staying away will only give opportunity to the devil. And that was that little prize point. The little eye point for Satan to get his crowbar in up and just prize us out of place. Don't let it happen. Keep coming. We have a hundred... I know I will sit on that chair there. And I must change my habits one day. We've got 100% right to be here. 
And so is each, every one of us. We're taking up our place. Just coming together. It's not about sitting on chairs and sitting in the plain place. Because I want to, I'm, I'm ready for stressed and ready for service. What are we going to do? Lord, where are we going today? Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. This helps with demonstrating the glory of God. We've come to the end of our time. But here's one verse of hope. And I've got so much else to say, but I'm not going to go over time today. The earth will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Hallelujah. We're going to be part of that. We're going to be part of that because we're going to appear with him in glory. As the world looks at us with Jesus, they're not going to see any difference. Isn't that wonderful? You say, look at all these. All these from the north and the south and the east, all these that God's redeemed. They all look the same to me. Appearing in glory with him. Appearing in glory with him. And the earth will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. What a hope. Hallelujah. What praise. On his mission, for his glory. Amen. Father, we just thank you and praise you so much. We humbly bow before you, Lord of glory. Lord of glory. This is the song I used to hear when I first was able with conscience to understand what was going around me. Lord of glory, we adore you. Christ of God, ascended high. Heart and soul, we bow before you. Glorious now, beyond the skies. Thee we worship, thee we praise. Excellent in all your ways. Hallelujah.